So, um, I guess. Are the kids going out now, right? Okay. The kids are going out now. I took my glasses off, so I can't read my order of service here. So, did any of you get this? Because, like, like it was, it seemed like the day after I turned 50, all of a sudden my perfect vision went. I don't know what that was all about, but it was just like, it went. And now I gotta wear these glasses, which I think look supremely cool on me, but, Oh boy. Okay. Have fun. Bye Catherine and Bella and everybody else. So anyway, um, I just want to share a little bit of my story with you. I, I, honestly folks, um, I could keep you here for a very long time simply because there have been so many events in my life that, um, have challenged two things. One, my idea of hope. And what I mean by hope is like earnest expectation that what God said he would do, he will do. That he is good for his word. And the other side of it was the whole notion of the Father who loves us. Like that song, that's one of my favorite songs because I understand what it is to be a fatherless child. My my dad was killed when I was in kindergarten. He was uh, carrying a ladder at work and hydro jumped off of the wire, like arced across, flowed down through the ladder through my father's body and killed him instantly. So he went to work out in the morning, and by the time I got home from school that day, I was a fatherless child. So, I mean, I understand the idea of having the, like, for a little boy to lose his dad, that's hard, right? I mean, these are the years that that I needed a dad. <clears throat> and um, and so th- those kinds of things were challenged. So when I sing a song like that, and you see me looking up here, or up here, let's singing it like it's everything. It's because it is true. Because God never, you know, throughout my life, I never lost the sense that that He um, was my was my Father, my Father who would was as close or closer than any other earthly father could be. Then there's the idea of. Of kids, because I told you that I actually have 11 kids. But the truth is I actually have 14 children. And three of them are waiting for me in, in glory. See, because I've been a fatherless child, but I've also been a childless father. I've stood at the graveside with a little white coffin and put that in the ground. And that's hard. That'll take your hope. That'll extinguish that if... And for many people it does. And so I, you know, every day I'm like, God, you know, thank you that I can not only like do these things, but that I can breathe and that I can live. And it's because I, I have my eyes fixed. You see, I, I, I know what hope is. I know what hope deferred is because in, in the case of my son Ezekiel, who I buried, who's, you know, waiting in heaven with my father, you know, he's there and I get to see him someday. Right, but I mean, you know, he died after 16 days. Right, he died in my arms. I, he was. Um, I'm not going to tell you the whole story because, like I said, I well, I've re- I, I I I was on the road with Tony Campolo about a year and a bit ago, and he said to me, "You need to write a book." So I wrote a book, and the book will be out in the fall, and then you can hear the whole story if you like, if you buy the book. There you see, I just peddled my wares. Right, all right, right. So. The publishing company will be happy. <laughs> uh, but no, seriously though, it's like, um, 
I could, you know, I keep you here all day, but my son, Ezekiel, he had some genetic problems and he, the, the artery between the lung, his lung and his heart was too small. And they couldn't do anything for him. They tried everything. And so I heard him cry for the first time on day 16 and then about 30 minutes later he passed away. Because it's just the way that it was. So, but I didn't, I, I didn't, hope isn't gone. You know, that's not the, that's not the story. You know, and the grave, even though it threatened to swallow me whole, that's not the story either, because there's, there's a sense of hope deferred. There's a sense that God knows my pain. It's very real. He, he, he experienced it even through the death of his own son. But he loves us enough as well. He just doesn't look at us only through that filter, but he loves and cares for each and every one of us. You sitting right there right now, as he loves you that much. And that's a powerful thing. You know, so I know the idea of, of, of hope deferred. I also know the idea of, 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 yeah, hope realized. You know, my daughter Kara, she's my oldest daughter. She's child number three. Um, she was one pound nine ounces when she was born. She was born 14 weeks premature. You're like, what has in this guy? There's more. I could tell you more. You know, but she was born one pound nine ounces, fourteen weeks premature. I remember the day they said to me that. Well, first of all, they told me she wasn't going to survive. I, I, I will let you know that she made me a grandfather last year. So yay, I'm way too young to be a grandfather. <laughs> but I, I, none of you laughed at that. That is rude. Okay, because it's obvious. Okay. Anyway, anyone who has a two and a half. Okay, never mind. I'll. I'll um, I won't make my problems here. <laughs> but, uh, no, and listen, um, you know, Kara was, they told me that she wouldn't survive, you know, and, and, um, you know, I remember the day that she, um, the doctors came to me and they said that she had three holes in her heart and that, you know, they could either operate or give her steroids. Both would probably kill her. She had already survived a couple of weeks and they were uh, surprised by that. Well, surprised? I don't even know that they actually exhibit those kinds of emotions there. They just, they they deal with it moment by moment. I was at uh, uh, Mount Sinai in the NICU there. Very very loving and tender people there. But anyway, um, so I was sitting there by your incubator, and God, I said, God, what am I going to do? And I grew up in a Christian Reformed church, right? A good strong Calvinist boy. We heard about the laying on of hands and things like that, but I never really had experienced or seen it in my own life. Um, and, and, um, and I remember I was sitting there at your incubator and I hear a voice say to me, um, lay your hands on her and pray. And so I looked behind me cause I thought maybe it was the chaplain, um, from, cause it was that real to me. And, and, <laughs> and I looked behind me and there's nobody there, but I know I heard that voice and you might think, well, you know what I thought. I was like, whoa, I am snapping here. Right? And I said, what? Because that's the only thing I knew what to do. And I heard it again, lay your hands on her and pray. So I did. You know, and about 36 hours later, when I was able to come back to the hospital, because we didn't live in Toronto, so I had to go back and forth and did it whenever I could. I came back to the hospital and the doctor said, I said, how's she doing? He said, well, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. I said, well, try me. He said, well, we just did an ultrasound. All three holes in her heart are gone. Right, so I tell you that story to say that I understand hope realized as well. 
You know, because I had no idea. I had no idea theologically. I had no idea medically. I had nothing. I had nothing to stand on except that simple faith that when God spoke to me and said, do this, I did it, and that's all. And I was just silly enough to believe that faith that I had. And God was faithful. And so hope deferred, hope realized. So, you know, um, and, and I'll also tell you this. God is a God who loves and who restores us. Because my story isn't end, doesn't end there. I could go on and on and on, but I'll tell you just one more really quick story, and then I'll share a couple of songs that come from that time and the scriptures that are woven into those songs. And hopefully, you'll, hopefully you'll see what it is that I'm cling to and what it is that I have my hope in. Okay, but um, my wife Lorraine, my first wife. The reason I have nine kids, I have nine with my first wife, and I have two with Jessica. My my wife passed away six years ago after a three-year battle with cancer. So once again, there we are. And everything is challenged. And God, you know, God is faithful and strong and true. And He can stand through those things with you and help you to stand. You know? And, um, and, and that was my, you know, that was the love of my life. That's what I, I was like, God, I, I have no idea what to do now. I've got, I had five little kids at home from the ages of five to thirteen. My daughter Alyssa, who's sitting in the front row there, turned five the day after Lorraine passed away. You know, and what? A, and, and honestly, you know, I mean, that's a challenge. But what am I going to do with a thirteen-year-old girl? I had no idea. I had no idea. I was so intimidated and so lost and so broken and so, yeah, emptied out. And then I remember how God brought my wife, Jessica, because he blessed our family. He blessed me with a wife and a help me and a partner and a love. And he blessed my kids with a mom. And he restored us. And he doesn't just, he didn't just bring us to the point where we could survive. He brought us to this point where we could thrive. Not in, in, in all kinds of earthly things, but to thrive in, in peace. I think I, I think I've experienced some of that peace that passes understanding that, that Paul talks about. That, that, that hope, that earnest expectation that David talks about in Psalm 3 when his son was chasing him through the, the wilderness trying to kill him. And then, and then David writes Psalm 3 and says, and basically says, I, I know that, I know the way things look, I know the way things feel, but I believe that you'll restore my throne to me. And, uh, and God has been faithful and true in all those things, just like He was then and He is now. Does anybody understand that? Anybody get that here this morning? Is anybody like, feeling that kind of hopelessness? Well, this song is, is basically Psalm 3. You can open your Bibles if you like and follow along. I didn't include the very last part because I couldn't figure out how to write God, please kick in the teeth of my enemy into a to a nice bluegrassy type song. So, but the whole idea of it though is that David, he says, I lay down my, I can lay down and rest and I wake and I know that you sustain me. And this in spite of the fact that his son had turned most of his friends against him and they were hunting him down like an animal. And, um, yeah. So this song is called, You Alone Are My Salvation. It goes something like this.
enemy surrounds me on every side. And they say that I am done. It is unto my Father that I lift my Christ. And I know the battle's won. For I know the Lord will be a shield around me. My glory and the one who lifts my head. And I know that you alone are my salvation. I know that I am blessed. down and sleep, I wake for you sustain me. I will not be afraid, though my enemies have set themselves against me. I know that I am safe, for I know the Lord will be a shield around me. My glory and the one who lifts my head. And I know that you alone are my salvation. I know that I am blessed. have time for one more song. Is that okay? Yeah? Or three? <laughs> yes, but I'd like to return sometime, you know? Like usually that song, Because He Lives, is the song that for me determines whether I'm coming back to a church sometime. Because people either be, wow, I really like that new version. It'll be like, I can't believe he did that to Bill. The unmitigated doll. 
Oh, gosh. Well, I just want to share one scripture with you, and, and I will do one more song. And uh, if you want to hear more, I'll also have the mic tonight. And um, I would really invite you to come out. I, I'm telling you, the, the, the tickets for the concert are $20, but, but you get a copy of my new CD. Right? Every household that comes gets a copy of the new CD. And we're also taking 25% of the door, of the net door, and donating it to the door in Fergus. Um, one of the things that we like to do is to, I don't just like to take something in communities, but we like to leave something behind and, and bless those who have blessed us. So, in, uh, I love David's stuff. Um, I, actually, most of my songs come from the Psalms. So, um, thank you, David. It's kind of like that new song, that new movie yesterday. Has anyone seen that? It's like the Beatles songs haven't yet come out, but only one person knows about them, so he rewrites them and then sings them and becomes a star. So I'm taking all of David's words and putting them out there as songs now. Okay, that was a joke that didn't work, so I'll never use that one again. But in, uh, so let's go to scripture instead, because, you know, um, in, in one, in one Chronicles, uh, 29, um, David says this, or he sings this. It says, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. And this is what he said. Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. And there's more, but it's yours, right? Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. And you are exalted over all. That's a song that means... That's a, a prayer that means so much to me because I, you know, just one more quick story and I'll tell you the whole story tonight. Um, but my daughter Sherry is also waiting with me or waiting for me or waiting, I'm waiting to meet her in, in, in heaven. And, um, she was stillborn at eight and a half months. What had happened is the placenta and the uterus separated and that was it. Just done. And so here you're holding this beautiful little girl who's fully formed beautiful and there's no life there and i remembered kara and i was like god you healed kara's heart so you could surely breathe the breath of life into my little girl and um, i struggled and struggled and i finally came to a point where i don't know why i thought of a keith green song because i was not a big fan of keith green's i am now but that's because i've matured but at the time, I, you know, when I went to Bible college, it was Striper and bands of that ilk, you know. I went and saw them when I was like 50. They still rock. But, Striper that is. But, um, um, I was, I was, I was holding my little girl. And all of a sudden that song, Oh Lord, you're beautiful. Your face is all I see. For when your eyes are on this child, 
grace abounds to me. And through gritted teeth I said, fine, you can have her. And the Lord spoke to me for the second time in my life. I mean, he's spoken to me, but I mean that audible voice that makes everything stop. And and he said to me, she was always mine. So are you. And so is Theo and Justin and Kara. And you, and you, we're all his. And that brings me to the point where I say, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty. This is the last song on the new record. And uh, it's exactly those words. So as I sing this song this morning, please don't look at it just as a performance but join me in worship picture these words think about how high and how wide and how deep the love of God is for us think how boundless his riches are and how he would not hold back one iota to get to you
Lord. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory, oh God. Thank you. All right, Pastor Alex. Thanks, Terry. I don't know where my... Oh, there it is. Um, I've wanted to meet Terry for a long time. My brother-in-law actually plays in his band, and Ken, who is Judith's older brother, um, has spoken so highly of Terry... And so I got to meet him today for the first time. It's great, great to meet you, Terry. Um, I'm not doing a normal sermon this morning. I'm doing what's called a homily, which homily translates to very, very short sermon. <laughs> and so I picked, I picked a psalm actually with Terry in mind. I thought, you know, how can I create some continuity with what Terry's going to say when I don't know what Terry's going to say? But I knew that Terry had a lot of kids. So I picked a psalm with a reference to a man with a quiver full of children. And I figure 11 arrows in a quiver, probably that's, anyone know how many arrows go in a quiver? Let's work with 11, shall we? So last week we wrapped up our series in 1 Corinthians, and we're starting now into the summer. And this summer we are going to dwell in the book of Psalms for July and August. And today we start with Psalm 127. So let's pray before I read this to you. Dear God, may the words of my mouth and the reflections of all of our hearts this morning be not only acceptable but pleasing to you, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Psalm 127, a song of ascents, a psalm of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. 
In vain you rise up early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents in court. This is the word of the Lord. Psalm 127 is an invitation to us to trust in the reality of God's control over our lives. It's an invitation to look to Jesus for the deep rest, the deepest rest that only he can give us. And I think it speaks to what Terry has told us of his story this morning also. It speaks to a hope beyond the appearance of life, beyond our sorrows, beyond our weariness. So this psalm is one of 15 psalms of ascent, they're called. Psalms 120 to 134, towards the end of the book of Psalms. It's a pilgrim song. So once a year, devout three times a year, devout Jews would make their way to Jerusalem for the various festivals, the three big festivals in uh, the Jewish world, for Passover, for Pentecost, and for the Feast of Tabernacles. And they would literally ascend. They would have to go uphill to get to Jerusalem, which was the highest city in Israel. And as they walked, as they made this pilgrimage, they would sing. They would worship in preparation, and they would sing these psalms of ascent that we have. And you know this, right? That when we sing words, those words sink into our hearts and our minds more deeply than when we just read them. We were at John McRae for Lily's grade A graduation on Wednesday night, and we sang the Canadian National Anthem in French. I hadn't done that in 20-plus years, I'm sure. But we stood up, and it just came to me, because I sang it every day as a kid in school. We were at a wedding on Friday, and we sang, Great is Thy Faithfulness, and we didn't have the words. But the song came to mind because I've sung it so many times, Sunday mornings and other times as well. So it's good for us to learn from these psalms because as we repeatedly take them in, whether we sing them, which some of our hymns are based on psalms, or whether we read them over and over, they go deeply into us. So in this psalm, first of all, we have a picture of a house being built and a city guarded by sentries. But it's not what you might have expected. Sometimes we hear, and I heard this at my kids' graduations this week, that if you work hard, your dreams will come true. If you work hard, you will be rewarded. But this psalm says something different. It says that nothing you do will last unless God is in it. Otherwise, everything you do is in vain. It's ultimately useless. And so the city, you can think of the city as standing for a whole society. Because if a city fell... If an army came in and took a city in the ancient world, the whole nation would fall with it. And I think, in a way, this psalm is a reflection for us on Canada Day long weekend as well. What do we sing in the national anthem, in English or in French? O Canada, we stand on guard for thee, right? But with so many choices before us, What's really worth our time in our society? What's of lasting value? What will remain in a thousand years? These are questions 
that we're left with as we recognize that we can build a house, we can watch, stand guard and watch over a city, but what is ultimately the best life for us to live? And so this psalm goes from this distant view of a house, of a city, and it gets personal. This is about your life, about my life, individual working lives. We get up early, we go to bed late, and in that culture, people worked for food in a way that we can't really relate to. We are rich by comparison. We don't live in fear of starvation or not having enough to eat. Most of us don't. But we can for sure relate to the grind of work. Day after day, we do the same thing. And there are times when we ask ourselves, why am I doing this? And it could lead us to be cynical about work and about our lives. But this first part of the psalm ends on a note of hopefulness. It points to hope that only comes from the Lord. And it gives us a promise. It says, God gives rest to his loved ones. He gives them sleep. He allows them to have that deep rest that they need at the end of all those long days of work. At the end of life's sorrows, he gives us his rest. We were at another graduation on Thursday night. Chloe graduated from Woodland Christian High School. And all the grade 12 students went across the stage, and we heard about their achievements, where they're headed in the fall, many of them to university or college, scholarships for some of them, bright futures, right? All that potential. And then at the end of each spiel for each individual student, there was a quote from Scripture. And each of the students had picked a Bible verse. It was a change in the focus away from this individual student and their achievements, away from our abilities and our ambitions, back to what lasts, back to the Lord. And I love that. This psalm says the same thing to us. It says that unless you have the right focus for your life, it won't matter how successful you appear. You will not find rest for your souls. Unless you look to the Lord to build your house, unless you recognize that God is sovereign over the whole universe and over each one of our lives, you will work and you will watch in vain. Until you admit that you can't do it on your own, until you confess the pride and the self-centeredness in your heart, you will be restless. But the Lord, who invites us to turn to him, the Lord is gracious. He forgives us, and he grants sleep to those he loves. And then the psalm takes this strange turn. We go from God giving rest to his loved ones to children who are a gift from the Lord. And as a parent, i got to say that I haven't always made that connection. For those of you with kids... For those of you with 11 children, perhaps, this may not make a lot of sense. Children are a ton of work. They require sacrifice after sacrifice. I got an email yesterday from Ben Robinson. Some of you know Ben and Lindsay. They just had twins a couple of weeks ago. Ben wrote in his email, if one of them is settled, the other one isn't. Not a lot of sleep so far. He didn't write, woe is me, but I I sort of got that vibe. (laughs) And this is a little plug maybe for more casseroles for Ben and Lindsay. So what's the connection? 
between children as a gift from the Lord and what's preceded it in this psalm? Well, I think the whole psalm asks about legacy. What is a life worth living? What will your legacy be? The work you did, the job you had, the house you built, the society you contributed here to here in Canada, the children you've had of your own or the young people you've encouraged? How will your life be judged? Now, in that day and age when this psalm was written, family was everything. In the ancient Near East, children gave you power and strength. So a very different culture from our own. But that's why it says the children are like arrows, and a father with a quiver full of them can boldly face his opponents in court. It actually says literally at the city gates. At the gates of the city was where court cases were held. So it seems like this father was in legal trouble. Court was held at those gates, and as you went to your date in court, you were more likely to get justice if you arrived with four or five strapping young men, your sons, at your side. And it's quite a dramatic ending to this psalm. It creates kind of a tension, an unresolved conflict. So what happens next? Well, we don't know, but I think this psalm and its final line launch us into the new covenant. It points us to Jesus. Psalm 118 calls Jesus the stone the builders rejected but who became the cornerstone. Jesus didn't save us by building us a house or by taking a city. He didn't save us with arrows and warriors. He was more powerful than any nation or empire. And yet he saved us through his weakness. He was put to shame. His opponents had their way with him in court. He was accused. He was condemned. He took the judgment in our place. We who are always building monuments to our own glory... Jesus took God's judgment on himself so that we could be saved from our own vanity. He did the real work. And then at the cross, he said, it is finished. I have won for you the rest your soul needs. And so on this long weekend, as we enjoy ourselves, as we celebrate Canada Day, and as some of us look forward to summer vacations not too far off, We can praise the Lord who gives us a greater hope in Christ. Thanks to Jesus, we can receive the deep rest that he promises to those whom he loves, which is every one of us. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.